Today, I've titled my sermon. I don't know if you have a title up there for it or not. That's great. Uh, I've titled it The Amazing Transformation of Authenticity. Um, and, and my main text is going to be coming out of Romans, um, Romans chapter 14. And, and we will get that, to that eventually, but I, I want to make sure everybody's awake and, and interactive here. So... Uh, I'm going to start with the kids. So if we're talking about authenticity, let's, that's what I want to talk about, but we're going to look at it at first from the opposite. What is the opposite of somebody who's authentic? Can anybody shout out that answer, kids? And anybody know what, what the opposite of being authentic is? Fake, okay, yeah, it's being fake, excuse me. Um, it'd be inauthentic for me to say my nose wasn't running. That would be inauthentic. Um, does anybody know what the word hypocrite means? Can anybody define hypocrisy? Here we go, I, I got some head shaking, I'm going to come around to some kids. Any of you, can you say what a hypocrite is? No? No? Any, any, anybody? Any other kid who's willing to say what a hypocrite is? Okay, We're, we got Jaden who's going to try. No, all I know is that it means idiot or something like that. Okay, okay, so a hypocrite is somebody who could be an idiot. What do you think? Or a crazy person. A crazy person. A any of you guys? Okay, okay, we got another one. What is a hypocrite? Someone who tells someone not to do something and then does it. Oh, that, that's a pretty good definition. Um, how many of you guys grew up with this song, I Just Want to Be a Sheep? Anyone heard that song? I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. And then there's the line that says what? I don't want to be a hypocrite. And why not? Because they're not hip with it. Right? So... Clearly, clearly that's enough rationale for us to say we don't want to be a hypocrite. Adults, now I'm going to come to you guys. What are some key verses that jump to your mind when the Bible talks about hypocrisy and what does the Bible say about hypocrites? Okay, I'm going to give you guys a moment to think about this. When Jesus is describing people who are being hypocritical, uh, warnings given against hypocrisy. Okay, I'm coming around. Any, anybody, what, what does the Bible say about hypocrisy? Nobody's looking at me. Nobody's looking at me. Okay, here we go. Uh, Jesus talked about the Pharisees being hypocrites. Okay. Whitewashed sepulchers. Oh, yes, yes. So I, I'm going to describe that a little bit. So whitewashed tombs is another word that was used, right? And so it means, look, we're going to create this beautiful outside of the tomb. It's going to look great. It's going to look beautiful. But what's on the inside? Dead bones, rotting flesh. That's being hypocritical. What else does the Bible say about hypocrisy? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Ah, okay. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. Anyone else? Okay, let, 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 me, let me go into some stories. Kids, maybe this is going to help you. 
There's a story of a fox who lost his tail. There was once a fox who loved more, nothing more in life than his big, beautiful tail. One day when he was walking through the forest, his tail got caught in a trap. In his effort to escape the trap, he was forced to leave it behind, knowing that without his tail, he would be the laughing stock of all his fellows. He resolved to try to convince all the other foxes to part with their tails. So at the next assembly of foxes, he made a speech on the unprofitableness of tails in general and the inconvenience of a fox's tail in particular, the danger a tail can bring to the safe living of a fox, adding that he had never felt so free in his life since deciding to give up his own tail. His speech was so well-spoken and convincing that many foxes were about to do away with their only tail when a sly old fellow arose. Walking to the front, waving his big, long, bushy tail in the air, he said with a sneer, If I, like the last speaker, had the miserable misfortune of losing my tail in an accident, nothing further would have needed to be said to convince me of the idea. But till such an accident should happen, I would certainly vote in favor of tails. So what's the hypocrisy here? The hypocrisy is a fox who loved his tail more than anything else in the world. And only when he lost the tail did he pretend he didn't actually love tails so that he could feel better about himself. So let's, let's, let's look at another thing. Here's a church joke. So there are two ushers talking to each other, and they're talking about the church. And they say, we have nothing but good, kind Christians in our church until you decide to seat someone in somebody else's pew. Right? Oh, we love each other. It's all great, but don't mess with my chair. Right? Don't, don't mess with my chair. Um, here's another definition of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who conveniently forgets their faults to point out the faults in other people. Right? And that's basically what you said, Ezra. That was very good. So one more question, and you guys can just shout out the answers from your seats. How do you feel when you are around somebody who is hypocritical? How do you personally feel or how does it affect you when you are with somebody who is hypocritical? You feel stupid? Ah, that's true, you do. You feel very uncomfortable. You feel angry. You very quickly lose respect. You feel dirty. Anyone else? How do you feel when your boss is hypocritical? Let's go one step closer. When he tells you he wants you to do something and you know he's not even going to do it himself. Okay, it makes you feel more determined to not be like that. Okay, that's, that's great. 
Yeah, you feel, you feel like you are the unneeded appendage. Okay, it, it leaves you with questions. Why should I have to do this if you're not willing to do it yourself? Yeah? Saddened. So I, I think it's clear why the Bible is so against hypocrisy. Why Jesus takes out more of his harsh words on people who are being hypocritical than anybody else. But I didn't come here to speak about hypocrisy. But I think this context helps us understand what I do want to speak about. I want to speak about authenticity, which is something that's different. And so human nature, I think intuitively, just based on the answers that you guys said, comes with a longing to be authentic. We want consistency between our inwards and our outwards. We want our actions to match up with what we feel. Right? We do all sometimes try to feel or show that we are different than what we're feeling inside. Let me give you some examples. Sometimes we act confident when we're really... Scared. Sometimes we act peaceful when we're... Sometimes we act happy when we're... Sometimes we act enthused when we're actually bored. Sometimes we act healthy when we're really sick. Intelligent when we're... Skilled when we're unskilled. Right? And, and here's the sad part. Some people get so good at doing this that they almost don't realize they're doing it anymore. They look at the audience, they look at the people that they're interacting with, and they very quickly begin to look whatever it is that they need to look in that situation to meet the standard that they think these other people have on them. But deep down inside, what I'm getting at is there's an, there's an innate in all humans, followers of Christ or not, who want authenticity, who find it safer to be around authenticity, and who long to be authentic themselves. Even for the people who are constantly changing their face or their facade, depending on the situation, they don't even like doing it. So the people who are constantly acting when they're not feeling, they feel ensnared by this. They feel trapped by it. They feel dirty some of the words that you guys were using. And for the most part, people who are living an inauthentic life feel a huge amount of stress and guilt because so much of their energy is spent on appearing rather than being. Right? When our focus is on appearing rather than being. And there's a huge role for secular counseling in this area. Right? Therapy, to help people find harmony between their inner world and their outer world. And I, I can attest, great things can come from that. When you learn to understand what's going on inside of you, and there's consistency between your inner world and outer world. It helps us get in touch with our feelings, understand our personal passions, and to know how to pursue them. And I think many, many good things comes from this. But, harmony between our inner self and outer self 
sorry, let me say it this way. But if harmony between our inner self and outer self is the pinnacle of authenticity, I think we're missing something. If all that matters is what I feel inside is how I act on the outside, if that's authenticity and if that's the end of the pursuit of authenticity that we have, I think we can all agree that we're missing something. Sounds like a familiar statement in the Old Testament that was repeated over and over and over again. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? This is great. I, I'm consistent with how I feel and how I act. And that's what, that's what secular counseling can do. They can help you bring some consistency bet- between how you feel on the inside and how you act on the outside. But in the end, I don't think this is going to satisfy our inner longing for authenticity. Just being consistent between the inside and out is not enough. See, and this is where I think Jesus is so amazing. We have, so if we all agree that we have a need or a desire to be authentic, authentic, sorry, I guess would be the right term. Um, if we agree that we have this inner longing to do that and to be that, then I think this is where it becomes amazing because Jesus can provide a way to meet that need Right, he's the only way that can meet our need to be authentic. authentic. Uh, John Piper says this, Jesus is precious because through him alone can our longing for authenticity be satisfied. He not only gives the freedom to be outwardly what we are inwardly, but he also, and more importantly, enables us to be inwardly what we were designed to be by God. Right? And there's a piece of that that's missing. It's not just what's on the inside that's on the outside. That's great. But God has designed us to be in connection to him. And apart from that connection to him, it's not possible to be authentic. So Romans 14, verse 1 to 9. If you guys want to read with me. Welcome the person who is weak in faith, but do not argue with him about his personal opinions. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but the person who is weak in faith eats only vegetables. The person who will eat anything is not to despise the one who doesn't, while the one who eats only vegetables is not to pass judgment on the one who will eat anything, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of someone else? It is his own master who will decide whether he succeeds or fails. And he will succeed because the Lord is able to make him succeed. One person thinks a certain day is more important than another, while someone else thinks that all days are the same. Each one should firmly make up his own mind. Whoever thinks highly of a certain day does so in honor of the Lord. Whoever will eat anything does so in honor of the Lord, because he gives thanks to God for the food. Whoever refuses to eat certain things does so in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives for himself only. None of us dies for himself only. If we live, it is for the Lord that we live. And if we die, it is for the Lord that we die. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For Christ died and rose to life in order to be the Lord of the living 
and of the dead. So how many of you think this is an interesting passage to think about when talking about authenticity? No, okay, no comments, that's fine. Let, let's go through this passage because I think what's happening in this passage is Paul is dealing with a situation that's going, a specific situation going on in the Roman church. And he's addressing that situation. And I think the clues of what he says in this gives us the clues for what authenticity should look like in our lives. So what's the context that's going on? So verse 2 and verse 5 give us a context for what Paul is addressing to the Romans. So there's two things. Verse 2 says, The Romans could not agree on what was right to eat or not, and nor could they agree on which days the Roman church should regard as holy. So there's a disagreement going on in the church that Paul's wanting to address. There are some people in the church who say, it's fine to eat anything, and other people in the church who say, no, we shouldn't eat meat, we should only eat vegetables. And then there's a group in the church that says, these are the days that we should set aside as holy, And other people in church said, no, all days are holy. We should set aside all days as holy. So this is a situation that the church is going through and they're fighting about. So Paul's main point to address this is found in verse 3, 5, and 6. So let's look at verse 3. Don't let the one who eats food despise the other, and don't let the one who abstains, pass pass judgment. Okay, so that's one good thought. Let's go to verse 5. Let everyone be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay, let's go to verse 6. Convinced that what we are doing is done in honor of the Lord. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul is saying that the Roman Christians are not accountable to any man's opinion, but are rather accountable to God. And God's will for us is that our hearts are pure and that we do what we do out of gratitude to him and honor to his name. Let's, let's read verse 4 again. Who are you to judge the servant of someone else? It is his own master who will decide whether he succeeds or fails. Right, verse 4 is very clear. It's bringing us back to a solid point. And what's that solid point? Is that we are accountable to Jesus as Lord. And according to that verse, we are not the ones who should be passing judgment on other brothers. Jesus is Lord. So one of the first keys of authenticity in our life that Paul is pointing out here in the passage is that we need to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Anytime we try to fill that role, anytime we try to be the one who's in charge or the one who passes judgment on other people, Right? We're missing the fact that it's Jesus who's Lord. It's not us. Let's continue to verse 7. None of us lives for himself only. None of us dies for himself only. If we live, it is for the Lord that we live. If we die, it is for the Lord that we die. 
So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So I think Paul, Paul is taking this point and now he's, he's maximizing it. So in the church, they're talking about food. What food should we eat? What food should we not eat? Which days should be set aside as holy and which days should not be set aside as holy? But what Paul is doing is he's pulling it back and saying, let's look at this from a bigger picture, right? And what's the bigger picture that he's looking at it? He brings it to a point of life or death, right? If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ, right? So then he's, he's making a big point out of a small point, and he's saying, look, if I choose to eat meat, I choose to eat meat for Christ. And he's saying, if I choose not to eat meat, I choose to not eat meat for Christ, right? This is a very interesting point because it's taking away the subjective, some of the subjective nature of this. It doesn't take all of it away, but it's taking away some of it because it's pinning it back to who Jesus is as Lord and it's saying my actions and when I choose to make an action, I'm choosing it based on this premise alone, that what I do is to bring honor and glory to God's name. That's why I'm making this decision. When we pull it all back to that, that's where true authenticity begins to form in our lives. Right? Because now we're saying the reason I'm doing this and the reason I'm acting this way is for the sole reason that it brings glory to God. I acknowledge him as Lord and I want him to be Lord of my life and so I'm going to make this decision I'm going to act in this way to bring glory to God. Were there people who were disagreeing on what to do? Absolutely. Right? And maybe this is a bit of an example of how we can deal with conflict within our church. Because you can have two different people with two points, but if you guys can both agree, okay, we are doing this for the sake of Christ. So why is Paul taking it to this big level of life or death? So Paul wants to remind the Romans who God intends us to be and what our divine purpose is. It's only when we understand this that we can find harmony between what we are in our heart and what God has created us to be. So what does Paul say is the divine purpose that God has for our lives? The answer is in verse 9. So let's take a look. For Christ died and rose to life in order to be Lord of the living and of the dead. So what is God's divine purpose for all of us? And so his divine purpose is that we surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Right? Fundamentally, that's what he wants. God sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve for rebelling against God. And so what is rebellion? Rebellion is the opposite of lordship right? When we, we can surrender to God and to who he is, or we can rebel. So God sent Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve for rebelling against God, the creator, to free us from our addiction to self and bring us under the rule of Christ, right? So again, our divine purpose is that we are called to be servants of Christ. If he's Lord, what is somebody who is under a Lord? The person who's under a Lord is a servant. So until we understand that we are called to not do as we please, but rather to do as God pleases, we will never find any footing in our search for authenticity. Right? So we have to change that orientation. 
We're called to be servants of Jesus. If we fight against the submission and allegiance that we have to the Lord, we'll feel a deep sense of inauthenticity in our lives. So let's look at lordship just a little bit because I think there's three key things that lordship does and provides for us which makes Jesus so amazing. So the first is possession. Verse 8 says, Uh, we belong to the Lord, okay? So we're talking about possession. Um, so lordship implies that he owns you. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 6 to 20 says, you were bought with a price, right? Jesus bought you. His lordship over our life means that he owns us. So that's the first thing that we need to understand about lordship. The second thing is that if there is a lord over us, whose responsibility is it to take care of our needs? Is it our responsibility or is it the lord's responsibility? Right? It's the lord's responsibility. So this is the amazing part. 1 Corinthians 3:21 to 23 says, "All things are yours because you are Christ's and Christ's Christ is God's. Verse 6 in this passage says, Give thanks to God. Um, sorry, give me a second here. So, okay, so we're talking about he possesses us. We're talking about if he's Lord, then he provides for all of our needs. Um, and so submission to that means acknowledging that he will take care of us and he will provide for all of our needs. Okay, now I want to go to the third point. And so the third point of a servant to a Lord is that it's our responsibility to please the Lord. Right, that, that's what has to be the driving purpose of a servant. If you have a servant who does not aim to please, right, what kind of servant is it? So being under the lordship of Jesus means everything we do is done in reference to him. Right? All of our actions are for the purpose of pleasing him. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Right? Life and death are also done in connection with him. What we eat, what we drink, what we do, what we act... All of these things need to be done in recognition of who he is and done to please him. So living under the lordship of Christ means aiming to please him in absolutely everything we do. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 says, And we please him by doing what we do for his honor, so that all of our actions are done for his honor. So we are not created to be independent. I think we need to understand that. Like, we are created to be submitted under the lordship of Christ. You know, when we attempt to be independent, self-sustaining, people who do what is only right in our own eyes, we're missing the point. Right? The world may call you authentic, but you and I both know that we are not going to be authentic. When we finally submit to the lordship this is where we can find joy, peace, contentment, 
right? And this is why Jesus died. So we can find that and we can find this authentic life that he's talking about. So we're going to jump back to verse 5 just for a moment. It says, One person thinks that a certain day is more important than another, while someone else thinks that all days are the same. Each one should firmly make up his own mind. What's that second part of that verse talking about? Each one of us should fully make up his own mind. So fully, some of your translations probably say convinced, should be fully convinced of. So what is it that we're supposed to be fully convinced of? We should be fully convinced that all of our actions are done for the glory of God, that that is our reason for why we're doing our actions. Right, and when we acknowledge that, that's where we begin to become authentic. Let's go to Galatians 1, verse 10. Give you guys all a moment to find that. Galatians 1, verse 10 says, Does this sound like I'm trying to win man's approval? No, indeed. What I want is God's approval. Am I trying to be popular with men? If I were still trying to do so, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is another key to authenticity. If we're trying to please other people, there's no way that we can please God. Scripture is clear about that. You cannot serve two masters. So John Piper says this, Be truly convinced in your own mind that what you do, you do in dependence on Christ, so you're submitted to his lordship, and hypocrisy will go. There's a wonderful freedom of authenticity that comes with living under the lordship of Christ. It simply doesn't matter what other people think if you have pleased the maker of the universe. Right? What other people think of you doesn't matter. If you know and you are fully convinced that what you are doing is done for the Lord and that you have pleased the Lord. So what are we talking about? There's two levels of authenticity. We're talking about consistency between our inner actions and our outer actions. And then we're also talking about a life that is linked under the lordship of Christ. And those two have to happen together. And when you link the two together, that's where true authenticity will begin to come. So, I want to go back to, to, to these three points that we made before of lordship. Because recognition of lordship, I think, is key. So, here it says, he possesses us. Right? We talked about under, being under the lordship of Christ means he possesses us. And so when we discover or we understand that we are Christ's possessions, that frees us and that means we are slaves to no man. Right? When we understand that we are his possession, we cannot be a slave to anybody else because we can only be tied to God. See, and the amazing part, which we, we could have gone into in other places, yes, Christ calls us to be his servants, but he takes it one step further to be called sons and one step further to be heirs and co-heirs with him, right? Like it goes so much deeper than what we think. Like we should be honored and amazed that we're called to be servants, that we're called to be owned and possessed, and yet it goes so much deeper. 
right? The gift is just way beyond. So he provides for our needs. So, so what's the benefit of that? When we trust the provision of Christ, then we don't have to fear any man. Because he's going to be the one to provide for our needs. Nobody else can take away that from us. Sure, they can take things away from us, but nobody can take away the fact that we have a God who will provide for our needs, and so we have no reason to be afraid of anybody. So, and the third, we do everything for the purpose of pleasing him. So when we aim to please Christ, we are no longer controlled by what others think. We spend so much of our life feeling controlled by what other people think. Right? And, and this is Jesus' most precious gift that he wants to give us. This gift of authenticity where we're slaves to no one. We fear no one. And we no longer are controlled by what other people think of us. Doesn't that sound like a freeing life? Fear of nobody. Slaves to nobody. No longer controlled by what other people think of us. And this is the amazing gift that God wants to give us. And, and this is what Paul is talking about as, as, he, as he tries to address things in the church. He says, let's bring it back. We need to be submitted to God. We need to be submitted to his lordship. And when we recognize that, here are the amazing free gifts that he gives and that comes. And, and like I said, there'd be a whole other sermon on going on to what it means that he brings us from being servants to heirs to sons to co-heirs. It's this amazing gift that goes so far and goes so beyond. Let, let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for this gift that you've given us, this gift of lordship. God, when we accept you as lord of our lives, we can be free from so many things. We can be free from what other people think of us. We can be free from fear. God, and that's amazing. God, and I want us all to live in knowledge and recognition of that and of that freedom and that gift that you've given us. God, I pray that this church would be filled with people who are authentic, filled with people who live a life of consistency, who acknowledge with their words how much they love you and how much they love people around them and that their actions would be so consistent with that that people would not doubt. People wouldn't doubt that they love you and people wouldn't doubt that they love other people. God, protect us. Push us away from doing actions that look like love that are done for selfish ambition. The things that we do because we want attention from other people or things that we do because it's something somehow going to satisfy a need in us. And God, make us a people who love, a people who give, who give freely. God, and I, lastly, I pray that we would find rest in your lordship. That because of who you are and your greatness and you as Lord, that we could rest and let, let go of so many things that make us anxious, so many things that we hold on to, and so many things that we worry about. God, that's what I want for my life. I want my life to be a life of consistency and purity that people would see and understand. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to fail. That doesn't mean we're not going to live up to this. It just means we always go back to you as Lord and say, I'm sorry. 
Thank you for your forgiveness for our lives. Thank you for the joy that you see in us and the joy that our lives and our actions bring to you. Thank you for loving us just the way we are without us having to do anything. Thank you for accepting us even when we don't feel accepted by people around us. You're a good father. In Jesus' name, amen.